Today on the Matt Wall Show, Google's new AI program just launched this week, and it's already attempting to erase white people from history. Our woke dystopian future has officially arrived, it looks like. Also, the Biden administration tries to buy more votes with yet another quote-unquote student loan forgiveness scheme. A major cellular outage affects thousands of Americans. Is there something sinister behind it? And the National MS Society fires a 90-year-old volunteer for failing to put her pronouns in her bio. Sounds like a Babylon Bee headline, but it's real. We'll talk about all that and more today on the Matt Wall Show. I've been talking about my Helix mattress for years. It's truly the gift that keeps on giving. Every night when I go to bed, I am reminded of how much I love my Helix mattress. If you haven't already checked out the Helix Elite Collection, you need to. Helix harnesses years of mattress expertise to offer a truly elevated sleep experience. The Helix Elite Collection includes six different mattress models, each tailored for specific sleep positions and firmness preferences. If you're nervous about buying a mattress online, you don't have to be. Helix has a sleep quiz that matches your body type and sleep preferences to the perfect mattress because why would you buy a mattress made for somebody else? Go to helixsleep.com Walsh, take their two-minute sleep quiz, and find the perfect mattress for your body and sleep type. Your mattress will come right to your door for free. Plus, Helix has a 10-year warranty. You get to try it out for 100 nights risk-free. They'll even pick it up for you if you don't love it, but you will, I guarantee it. Helix's financing options and flexible payment plans make it so that a great night's sleep is never far away. Helix is offering 25% off all mattress orders and a free bedroom bundle for my listeners. Bundle includes two free pillows, a set of sheets, and a mattress protector. So go to helixsleep.com slash Walsh and use code helixpartner25 is their best offer yet. It's not going to last long. That's helixsleep.com slash Walsh and use code helixpartner25. Maybe you've heard of something called NVIDIA. It sounds like a prescription drug or maybe an African country, but it's actually a company based in California that's now worth more than all of China's stock market. It's the size of Canada's entire economy. Now, in a different era, obtaining this kind of growth meant making a massively popular and instantly recognizable consumer-facing product like Windows 95 or Amazon.com or the iPhone. But NVIDIA's growth didn't come from making a computer or a popular website or anything like that. Instead, NVIDIA's growth came from making artificial intelligence chips that power the brains of computers and many popular websites. That's why NVIDIA had a very good day on Wall Street on Wednesday. Their business, artificial intelligence, is one of the fastest growing industries in the history of humanity. Every major corporation is rushing to implement AI in all of their products as quickly as possible. And so this week, it was Google's turn. And the results were so disastrous and so fraught with consequences for the future of this country that no reasonable person can ignore them. Gemini is uh, Google's name for an AI that you can download on your phone right now. It's also integrated into all of Google's web products, including Gmail and Google Search, which are used by hundreds of millions of people and businesses every day. And in this respect, Gemini is very different from existing AI products like ChatGPT or Bing's Image Creator. Uh, pretty much everybody uses a Google product in one way or another. You know, if you, if you have the internet and you use the internet, you use a Google product. Either you're using uh, Google Search or Gmail or you have an Android phone or something along those lines. And that means two things. One, Google has access to a lot more information than those other AI platforms. That's a built-in advantage. And two, whatever Google is doing with AI has significant implications for everybody on the planet. This is not a one-off experiment 
in some tech mogul's basement. This is an established company making established products that it's now implementing in its own AI at scale. Uh, Google has been hyping Gemini for months. They have a bunch of promotional videos about how they're going to revolutionize artificial intelligence. Wall Street Journal has done multiple interviews with Google executives in which these executives insist that everybody at the company, including Google's co-founder, is deeply invested in making this product as good as it could possibly be. And then a couple of days ago, Gemini launched. And very quickly, it became clear that, uh, among some other issues, Gemini essentially does not recognize the existence of white people, which is kind of concerning for what is destined to be what probably already is the most powerful AI on the planet. Now, even in historical contexts, it is practically impossible to get this product to serve up an image of somebody with white skin. And that's not an exaggeration. So here, for example, is how Gemini responded the other day when Frank Fleming, who's a writer for the uh, Ben Key Children shows, asked Gemini to create an image of a pope. Now, you would think that, you know, that would generate uh, maybe an image of a white guy or two. If you have even a passing knowledge of what popes have looked like over the years, over the centuries, over the millennia, and just spoiler on that, they have all been white. Uh, but that's not what Google's AI product apparently thinks. This is the image that it produced. And you can see it there. Uh, it looks like, you know, they've got two popes and one of them is M. Night Shyamalan and the other one is uh, Forrest Whitaker. So it's almost as if the AI has some sort of code saying, whatever you do, don't display a white person, considering there has never been a pope that has looked anything like either of those two ever in 2000 years. So is that what they've built into this code? Have they built into this very powerful AI uh, that, that it has to ignore the fact that white people exist. Well, that's really the only way to explain uh, what we're seeing here. And, and Frank, who previously worked as a software engineer, seemed to key in on this. So, so the whole situation quickly became something of a game for him as he tried to, his hardest to get Gemini to produce any image of a white guy. I mean, even just like one image. Can you give us a white guy? So for example, he asked Gemini to produce an image of a Viking. Okay, now this is a group of people who historically uh, were not necessarily known for their commitment to diversity, equity, and inclusion. But here's what Gemini produced. And you can see it here. We've got a black Viking, a black female Viking. We've got, it looks like an Asian, <laughs> an Asian Viking. And then, uh, and then, I don't know, maybe that's, is that the rock down there? That's, um, that's, uh, that's the char his character from Moana, I think. Again, Literally, a Viking has never looked like any of that. That's, that's not what any Viking ever looked like ever in history, uh, but that's what they produced. And this went on for a while, and, and Frank and other Gemini users took turns trying their hardest to get Gemini to produce an image of a white guy. Peachy Keenan, for example, tried to get Gemini to generate an image of the founders of Fairchild Semiconductor. The AI flatly refused that request, saying that it violated policy restrictions, presumably because white guys founded Fairchild Semiconductor, and for other prompts, like requests to draw the founding uh, fathers or a bunch of British men, Gemini simply generated images of black people. It even made sure that its images of Nazis contained a diverse, non-white group of people. Now, after thousands of images like this began circulating, a guy working on the Gemini team at Google put out a meaningless statement. He said, in essence, that uh, they're aware of, of issues with Gemini misrepresenting historical figures but then you know, they, he doubled down on the need for DEI and artificial intelligence so that everybody feels seen or valued. 
or whatever. And of course, the way to make everyone feel seen is to pretend that an entire race of people don't exist. To make sure that they are not seen at all is how you make everybody feel seen. At no point did any Google representative explain why their AI does not recognize the existence of white people or why it goes to extreme lengths to exclude white people from history. You know, there was no accounting for this, even though there has to be an explanation. And it's probably a pretty simple explanation. Like, this doesn't happen by accident. You obviously put a line of code into this thing to come up with this result. And so why did you do that? They wouldn't explain it. So I went looking for an explanation. I came across a woman named Jen Ganai, who um, bills herself on her LinkedIn as the founder of Google's Global Responsible AI Operations and Governance Team. In that capacity, Ganai says that she ensured Google met its AI principles, our company's ethical charter for the development and deployment of fair, inclusive, and ethical advanced technologies. She says that she took a, quote, principled, risk-based, inclusive approach when conducting ethical algorithmic impact assessments of products prior to launch to ensure that they didn't cause unintended or harmful consequences to the billions of Google's users. And apparently, uh, you know, an un- a harmful consequence would be showing an image of a white Viking. That might be very harmful to somebody, and so we got to make sure that we don't let that happen. Uh, now, currently, Ganai says that she's an AI ethics and compliance advisor at Google. Now, what Ganai doesn't mention on her LinkedIn is that her goal for a long time has been to treat white people differently based on their skin color. It's what she wants her AI to do. It's what she, it's what she does also. Three years ago, Ganai delivered a keynote address at an AI conference in which she admitted all of this. After introducing herself with her pronouns, which, uh, by the way, are she, her, in case you're wondering, Ganai explains what her philosophy on AI uh, is, and and, uh, here's what she says. Watch. We do work together day to day to try and advance the technology and understanding around responsible AI. But today, I won't be speaking as much from the Google perspective, but from my own experience. I have worked at Google for over 14 years. I've led about six different teams, mostly in the user research, the user experience area, and now in the ethical user impact area. So I'll be sharing some of my learnings from across that time, but also some of my failures and challenges. I think it's okay to talk about things that you've made mistakes in because we will make mistakes. When we're trying to be good allies, when we're trying to be anti-racist, we will make mistakes. The point is though, to keep trying, to keep educating yourself and getting better day to day. It's about constant learning. It's okay to talk about the things you've made mistakes in, says Jen Ganai. When, when we're trying to be good allies, when we're trying to be anti-racist, we will make mistakes. Well, you know, in retrospect, after the launch of uh, Gemini, that would turn out to be kind of a massive understatement. The kind of mistakes that Jen Ganai is talking about in this uh, keynote aren't mistakes like eliminating all white people from Google's AI, which seems like a pretty big mistake, even though, again, not really a mistake. It's obviously deliberate. Instead, she's talking about failing to live up to the racist ideals of DEI, which apparently means treating non-white employees differently. Watch. A corporate study found that talented white employees enter a fast track on the corporate ladder, arriving in middle management well before their peers, while talented black Hispanic or Latinx professionals broke through much later. Effective mentorship and sponsorship were critical for retention and executive level development of Black, Hispanic and Latinx employees. So this leads me into sharing an inclusion failure of mine. One of many, but just one that I'll share so far. I messed up with inclusion almost right away when I first became a manager. 
I made some stupid assumptions about the fact that I built a diverse team that then they'd simply feel welcome and will feel supported. I treated every member of my team the same and expected that that would lead to equally good outcomes for everyone. That was not true. I got some feedback that a couple of members of my team didn't feel they belonged because there was no one who looked like them in the broader org or our management team. It was a wake up call for me. First, I shouldn't have had to wait to be told what was missing. It was on me to ensure I was building an environment that made people feel they belong. It's a myth that you're not unfair, unfair if you treat everyone the same. There are groups that have been marginalized and excluded because of historic systems and structures that were intentionally designed to favor one group over another. So you need to account for that and mitigate against it. Second, it challenged me to identify mentoring and sponsorship opportunities for my team members with people who looked more like them and were in senior positions across the company. Yeah, of course, the irony here is that this woman, Jen, is uh, sounds like she's Scottish or Irish or whatever. Uh, Irish, I'm going to assume. But the funny thing is that if you were to ask uh, Google's AI for an image of an Irish person, it would not produce any image that looks anything like her. It would give you a bunch of images of like Cardi B and Sexy Red or something. Sexy Red does have red hair, so like maybe she is Irish. Uh, this is the head of ethics of Google AI, a senior manager, saying that it's a bad idea to treat everyone the same, regardless of the color of their skin. She is explicitly rejecting this basic principle of morality. And instead, she says that she learned that she has to treat certain groups differently because of historic systems and structures. And therefore, she says, those demographic groups are entitled to unique treatment and, and mentorship opportunities. Now, later in this address, uh, she goes on to explain what equity means in her view. And this is where the things really kind of get hilarious to the extent that you can laugh at someone this low IQ and also, frankly, evil. Uh, watch. Allyship involves the active steps to support and amplify the voice of members of marginalized groups in ways that they cannot do alone. In the workplace, this can involve many things from being an active mentor or sponsor to those from historically marginalized communities, to managers of managers setting specific goals in hiring and growth for their teams to ensure fairness and equity of opportunity and outcomes for underrepresented populations. However, back to the point about language being very important, Using the title of ally can also come across as othering. So I always state both the groups I'm a member of and support, as well as those that I'm a member of, a, 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 a more of a mentor and a sponsor of, to ensure that it doesn't look like that I'm othering others. So for example, I would say I'm an ally of women, black people, LGBTQ. I want to say I'm a champion advocate of all of these groups, not that I'm outside or exclusionary of them. Again, it's worth emphasizing, these are the people that are behind the AI systems that are going to be and really already are ruling the world. Um, but I want to repeat what she said because it's hard to believe when, you know, when this is said out loud. So just to repeat, she says, using the title of ally can come across as othering. So I always state both the groups I'm a member of and support as well as the ones I'm more of a mentor and sponsor of to ensure that it doesn't look like I'm othering others. Yeah, you don't want to other the others. This is the brain trust at Google behind an AI that has access to all of our data. She's incapable of speaking without using an endless stream of vapid DEI cliches that you've heard a million times. This supposedly is, is an original enterprise, artificial intelligence, and it's being overseen by maybe the least original, least intelligent woman that Google possibly could have found. On top of everything else, the wacky left-wing stuff, you're, you're dealing with the most unimpressive people that you could imagine that are, are in charge of this uh, just technology that, that is incomprehensible. 
And this is the kind of person who doesn't want to other others, which which seems a bit contradictory. I mean, if someone is an is an other, then how do you not other them, given that they are an other? And by the way, just so you know, the word other, if you check the dictionary, just means a person or thing that is distinct from another person or thing. So if somebody is an other, it just means that they're not you is all. So if you're recognizing that they're another, if you're making them an other, you're just, you, you are, you are uh, recognizing them as a distinct entity from yourself. So, so not othering them means that, uh, that, that, that you are not recognizing them as a distinct human entity. It means that, I suppose, we have to pretend that all people are indistinct blobs, you know, all lumped together into this great ambiguous blob that we call humanity. Now, none of this makes any sense, but uh, she has made it very clear that this DEI word salad is the guiding philosophy behind Google's new AI. There's no firewall between her and the product. Watch. What does responsible and representative AI mean? I've talked about my team, but that's only one definition. So for us, it means taking deliberate steps to ensure that the advanced technologies that we develop and deploy lead to a positive impact on individuals and society more broadly. It means that our AI is built with and for everyone. We can't just assume noble goals and good intent prevent or solve ethical issues. Instead, we need to deliberately build teams and build structures that hold us accountable to more ethical outcomes, which for us, the ethical outcomes in Google will be defined as our AI principles, which I discussed earlier. Yeah, it's easy to point and laugh at imbeciles like, uh, like this and, and the products that Google has created. On some level, it's genuinely hilarious that an AI product can be so useless that it can't generate images of white people, even white historical figures. It's also amusing in a way that Gemini is so unsubtle and ham-fisted that it straight up refuses to answer questions about, for example, atrocities committed by communist governments, or as someone else asked about the Zoom exploits of a CNN commentator Jeffrey Tubin, wouldn't, wouldn't answer that question. But the truth remains that the people behind Gemini have extraordinary power. I mean, this debacle makes it very clear that the AI algorithms underlying products that millions of people actually use, like Google, are, are completely unreliable and worse. In fact, they're deliberately lying to us. They're downranking unapproved viewpoints and disfavored racial groups, and they're promoting the laziest possible brand of neo-Marxist ideology at every opportunity. And they're doing it also to influence the next presidential election, by the way. You might remember that after Donald Trump won in 2016, Breitbart posted leaked footage of Google executives grieving during an all-hands meeting. Let's watch that again. I certainly find the selection uh, deeply offensive, and I know many of you do too. It did feel like a ton of bricks dropped on my chest. What we all need right now is a hug. Can I move to Canada? <laughs> is there anything positive you see from this election result? Oof. Uh, boy, that's, that's a really tough one right now. Now, in other parts of the video, they go on to say that the election is the result of the people and voting and that they accept the results. But Google issued a statement saying the video uh, saying nothing was said at that meeting or any other meeting to suggest that any political bias ever influences the way we build or operate our products. To the contrary, our products are built for everyone. Hmm. Sure it is. I find this election deeply offensive. We all need a hug, we're told. It was at this moment that Google decided that downranking conservative websites wasn't enough. In order to really influence elections, they decided that they needed to develop an AI that will force feed DEI and anti-white racism on everyone at every opportunity. Their only mistake 
which is the same mistake they made in that video back in 2016, is that they were too obvious about their intentions. And now everybody knows exactly where Google stands. We have a pretty good idea what our future AI-driven dystopia will look like, or already does look like. Now let's get to our five headlines. If your house is feeling chilly right now, you may need to consider window replacements. I get it. You know, if you haven't yet replaced the windows in your home, it can be an intimidating project and prospect. Luckily, there's a company that will do the work for you. Renewal by Anderson is your one-stop shop for window design, manufacture, and installation. Windows play a crucial role in regulating indoor temperatures. If you notice a spike in your heating or cooling bills, it may be due to inefficient windows. Don't put it off any longer. Renewal by Anderson offers limited, fully transferable, and best-in-the-nation warranty coverage. Right now, Renewal by Anderson is offering a free in-home consultation on quality, energy-efficient, affordable windows or patio doors with special financing options. Text Walsh to 200-300 for a free consultation to save $375 off every window and $775 off every door. These savings won't last long, so be sure to check it out by texting Walsh to 200-300. That's Walsh to 200-300. Texting privacy policy and terms and conditions posted at textplan.us. Texting enrolls for recurring automated text marketing messages. Message data rates may apply. Reply stop, opt out. Go to windowappointmentnow.com for full offer details. Okay, news from, uh, from Reuters. A cellular outage on Thursday hit thousands of AT&T users in the United States, disrupting calls and text messages, as well as emergency services in major cities across, uh, including San Francisco. More than 73,000 incidents were reported around 8.15 a.m. Uh, AT&T said some of its customers were facing interruptions and it was working urgently to restore service. Uh, and then turns out that uh, a bunch of other carriers were affected as well. So uh, major cellular outages across the country. I think the 70,000 figure, it, which was as of this morning, is most likely a huge undercount at this point. So it uh, seems to be a much wider um, outage than that. And the question is, what caused it? Um, if you had tens of thousands, potentially hundreds of thousands or more, I don't know, people affected by a, a, a cellular outage, um, what caused that? And Lots of people on the internet are speculating that it could be some kind of attack or maybe it's a false flag event or a dry run for a bigger thing that's coming down the pike. But the media is now reporting that it may trace back to a solar flare. And here's a quick report on that. Good morning, Oklahoma. Maybe you're looking at your phone and it's saying SOS. What's going on? My husband had that this morning and he's freaking out. And I was like, did you, did you do your phone updates? No, this is all happening at 3 a.m. So we did that. Coming to work, he's not the only one. Guys, if you're experiencing that, it may be a result of space weather, okay? I'm gonna do my best to explain what's going on. Let's go ahead and take a look. So there was a strong solar flare event that happened just after midnight, and they actually captured an image of it right here, okay? I had to look up this scale. I wish I knew everything about space weather. That's a whole different specialty. But R3, that's for radio communications. It's on a scale of one to five. And three is pretty bad. That means it impacts radio communications for a few hours after this happens. And so right now that could be impacting some of our technology. And sadly, we're entering a solar maximum where we're gonna see more and more solar storms, solar. Well, I'm glad that she was able to begin that uh, news report about this, you know, serious issue, solar flare, cellular outage. She was able to begin by uh, giving us a little anecdote about the conversation she had with her husband at 3 a.m. Uh, not exactly. I mean, you're a news anchor. It's like, I guess people want everything personalized these days. I don't really want it personalized. I just want, just get, get to, uh, just give me the news. That's all I need to know. I don't need to know about, I don't care that your husband, it doesn't matter to me. Um, now, 
So they're, they're pinning it on a solar flare. The internet, as you might expect, is not buying this. Um, lots of comments are treating the solar flare explanation as somehow totally absurd. You know, I'm seeing a lot of people saying, nah, no way. You're not fooling me. Yeah, right. Solar flare. Sure. Solar flare, quote unquote. Uh, they insisted this was some kind of plan, devised scheme by, you know, uh, shadowy forces, which, I mean, maybe it was. I'm not sure what they would have gained from it, given that this was a relatively minor annoyance. Uh, so I guess it's possible that shadowy forces executed some huge plan to just sort of irritate everybody for a few hours. I'm not sure why. I don't know what you would gain from that. Um, and I don't say this to downplay or dismiss the reality that there, that there are, in fact, evil forces out there scheming uh, different ways to make our lives miserable. We know that's the case. That's certainly true. My only point is that, you know, and I find myself having to make this point uh, with relative frequency these days, but not everything, like there are scheming bad people out there, not everything is part of that scheme. And so when I saw this and I heard about the solar flare, I just immediately knew. I knew as soon as I went on Twitter what I was going to see. And it's nothing but a lot of it's coming from the right. Just, yeah, right. I know what's really going on. And I was like, all right. <laughs> of course, of course, it has to be. It always, you know, there, there, are, there are things that happen in the world and in the universe that just happen. Okay, we, we do live in a physical reality where all kinds of things we can't control happen. that it, it does happen. Um, and so some things are a conspiracy, sure, but not everything is. You know, it's like when there's, um, and it seems that people sort of moved away from this a little bit recently, but we went through a while there where every mass shooting was a false flag. Every mass shooting was a false flag attack. And it seemed like for years it was, that was uh, by some corners on the right. Every mass shooting is automatically I know what really happened. Here's a false flag. Well, it's like, yeah, but mass shootings do happen. I mean, this is, this is a thing that really does happen. I wish it didn't, but it does. So to, to immediately assume that it can't be anything but some deeper conspiracy is ridiculous. And, uh, and kind of the same thing here. You know, I, 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 so when I hear people say, you know, no, no way. You're not fooling me. Couldn't be a solar flare. Why couldn't it have been a solar flare? Solar flares exist. It's a thing. Are you denying that they exist? The, the, the sun is a real thing. It's up in the sky. Solar flares are real. Uh, the sun is out there in space. It's not that far away on a cosmic scale. It's an enormous ball of hellish gas so big that a million Earths could sit, fit inside it like a, you know marbles in a glass vase. Uh, this thing that's burning at 27 million degrees Fahrenheit is, at its core, it's like a very powerful thing. It's this incompre incomprehensibly enormous nuclear reactor that is, that is just a hop, skip, and a jump away from us, again, in galactic terms. And yeah, that thing could incinerate all life on the planet in the blink of an eye. It could. It probably won't anytime soon, but eventually it will. But uh, it, it probably not anytime soon, but, but it could. Like the sun could belch tomorrow and send us all back to the Stone Age, just like that. Um, that's the kind of power we're dealing with. That's how fundamentally helpless and vulnerable we are. All of our technology, all of our advancement, all of it could be rendered moot, destroyed in an instant by, by forces that have nothing to do with anyone on this planet. This is what I'm always trying to explain to the climate change alarmists that are running around. What are we going to do about the weather? It's like, we don't get to call the shots on this thing. I, I hate to tell you. It, it's, I wish we had that kind of control. We don't. 
When it comes to the weather and the climate and solar flares and the sun and all these things, it's just we are helpless. It will just happen. And if it does, then we're screwed and that's it. Um, you think about the Carrington, Carrington event, which was the largest solar flare on record. And, uh, you know, they haven't been keeping records that long. So uh, this happened in like 1860 or something. And um, it, it sent out it sent out as much energy as the most powerful thermonuclear bomb ever created, times 5 billion. So it was the equivalent of 5 billion of the most powerful nuclear bombs ever created. Um, so imagine that, you know, two-thirds of the people on the planet all owned their own most powerful thermonuclear bomb, and they all set them off at the exact same time. Um, that that's the kind of power we're dealing with. And at that point in 1860, um, it, it knocked out telegraph lines. It actually set telegraph stations on fire. There were people at telegraph stations that were getting electrical shocks because of this thing. Now, imagine what would have happened if modern communication existed back then. But say goodbye to your phone and the internet and probably for a long time. Uh, so, that's all real. That's all true. It's a real thing. I hate to tell you. Um, and I think that this is some of the psychology behind the people who overdo it on the conspiracy, where everything's a conspiracy. And I think part of the reason for that is, 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 is there's a certain comfort, I guess, we take in thinking that we are in control of everything, even if not me individually, but like even imagining that there's a that there's a, a human conspiracy out there that is responsible for everything that is more comforting than imagining that it's totally outside of the control of anybody on the planet and i think people don't want to confront that and so they come up with ways to cope with it that's my that's my psychoanalysis anyway there it is all right uh, this is an easier thing to psychoanalyze uh, for the daily wire just to make sure that the borrowers of student loans know whom to thank for escaping responsibility for fully paying back their student loans. President Biden will send over 150,000 borrowers a personal email reminding them that he's their guy. The plan to let borrowers off the hook will cost the American taxpayers $1.2 billion. Adding that, the administration has canceled $138 billion in debt for almost 4 million borrowers since Biden took office in 2021. Uh, the email states, quote, congratulations, all or a portion of your federal student loans will be forgiven because you qualify for early loan forgiveness under my administration's SAVE plan. From day one of my administration, I've, I vowed to fix student loan programs so higher education can be a ticket to the middle class, not a barrier to opportunity. Um, it always, this is not really the point, but it's always so sort of creepy and depressing, first of all, when, when, you, when you hear this from these politicians. It's a, it's a ticket to the middle class. So that's the bar you're setting for us? Your ticket to the middle class, which, like, first of all, the idea that the only way to access the middle class is to spend $100,000 on, on, on a college education, if that's true, that's already the problem. Like, the idea that a college education and a, de a degree should be, an, should be the entry point for the middle class is insane. It, it, it should not be that way. And, in fact, it's not that way. I mean, you can... There are many careers you can get into and, and be comfortably middle class 
above middle class. I mean, you could become wealthy um, without a college education. That's just the truth. But to the extent that it is true that many kinds of jobs that will, you know, um, give you a middle class sort of income, uh, that, that, that they require a college education, like that is a problem. They shouldn't. Those jobs should not require that. They don't really require it. You know, not, they don't naturally require it. They require it artificially. Uh, so that's the problem we should be dealing with. But instead, Joe Biden and the Democrats, they see that as a, as, as, as a feature, not a bug. And, and so they see no problem with the idea, to the extent that it's true, that access to the middle class uh, depends on a college education. And on top of it, the bar that he's putting for everybody is the middle class. This is your way to become middle class. And all the people saying that, oh, no, just be happy being middle class. That's fine. That's all you need. To, that's all you need in life. You don't need more than that. Of course, everyone's saying that. They're far above middle class. Okay, these are all wealthy people who would, who would rather be dead than be middle class, most of them. But for you, that's, that's all you should want. That's all you need. Just, just that. Be middle class. Uh, and uh, we'll, we'll, we'll throw you some money every once in a while. You know, we'll pay off some of your student loans for you, or we're not going to pay it off. The taxpayers will, and just just stay there. Don't don't try to go beyond that. Um, it's it's obscene, which isn't to say, obviously, that there is anything wrong with being middle class. Of course, there isn't. The problem is when you have these elites, who again are not middle class, who are presenting that to you as your ceiling as the pinnacle of what you should try to achieve. Uh, here's Biden bragging a little bit more about the latest student loan forgiveness scheme. Here it is. Early in my term, I announced a major plan to provide millions of working families with debt relief for their college student debt. Tens of millions of people in debt were literally about to be canceled, their debts. But my MAGA Republican friends in the Congress, elected officials and special interests stepped in and sued us, and the Supreme Court blocked it. I blocked it. But that didn't stop me. I announced we were going to pursue alternative paths for student debt relief uh, for as many borrowers as possible. And that's the effort that's been underway the last two years. I fixed what's called the SAVE plan. It existed, but I fixed it to make it the most affordable repayment plan ever. Before I took office, student borrowers had to pay 10% of their discretionary income on a monthly basis. If they made less than, if they didn't have right, enough. Shut to up. Uh, he, and so he admits that the Supreme Court says we can't do this, but we're doing it anyway. So, um, and these are the people that cherish our our uh, democracy and our system of government, of course. But this is another outright, absolute, absolutely shameless bribery scheme funded by the taxpayers, of course. Because um, once again, I must insist on on reminding everybody that this is not loan forgiveness. A loan cannot really be forgiven. Uh, not in the way that it implies anyway. Um, a loan is a thing that happened. Money was given by one party to another. That's the loan. It was lent. Um, and now that it has happened, you can't wave a magic wand and make it so that it didn't happen. You would need a time machine to do that. So real student loan forgiveness or, or you know, erasing student loans, a way to really do that, to erase it, is to get in a time machine and go back and, and stop the person from taking the loan out to begin with. 
which if that was possible, I would say, yeah, that would be the best approach for many of these people. Um, but we don't have that. And so the loan was, was made. There is a hole here, right? Like money is owed. Um, there's a debt and it's going to be filled. You know, and, and so either the person who borrowed the money will be made to hold the bag or the person who lent the money, the party that lent the money, will be left holding the bag or a third party, which in this case with, with the student debt is the taxpayers, um, that third party will be given the bag and told to fill it with a billion dollars or whatever. But somebody is out the money. Somebody is on the hook, no matter what. There is no scenario where that will not be the case. And, uh, and that's all that matters. All the rest of it is irrelevant. Even if I agreed with um, all of the arguments about how a lot of these college kids are taken advantage of, and they don't know what they're doing, and it's not fair, and it's predatory, I can agree with most of that. All of it, actually. I agree with all of it. But... So it's an unfair situation. No, no matter no matter what approach we take, you know, no matter what, what no matter what answer we ha- we come up with, it's not going to be great, and it's going to leave somebody in an unfair situation, one way or another. Um. So of all these situations, what is the most fair? Is it the most fair? To make the, the, the person who took the loan out pay it back? Or is it the most fair to make someone who didn't take the loan out pay it back? Because if it is unfair to make the person who took the loan out pay it back, how much more unfair is it to make someone who didn't take it out pay it back? Uh, and when it comes to student loan, quote unquote, forgiveness, that is really the only point that matters. Okay, I wanted to play this. Here's a video uh, that was posted by a guy named Charles Tanner. Duke Tanner is his nickname. And he was granted clemency by Donald Trump back before Trump was uh, left office, obviously. And he's, he's now a big Trump supporter, this guy, because he was let out of prison. You know, he was, he was, he was in prison and uh, he was let out. Big Trump fan now, as, as you might expect. And he says that he was a nonviolent drug offender who was given two life sentences for a first-time offense. And that was unfair, he believes. And that's why he deserves to be let out. And he wants to see a lot more people let out. And, um, and here he is uh, in this video where he talks about that and why he's a big Trump fan now. Let's watch. My name is Charles Duke Tanner, and I was sentenced to a double life sentence for my first arrest for a nonviolent drug offense in 2004. I lost all my appeals, and I was denied clemency by the Obama administration. It took 16 plus years before President Trump granted my clemency and allowed me to go home in 2020. I was a part of a broken and unjust system. And now it hurts me to the core to see the same system going after a former president. This is what blacks been going through since day one. If we allow this to happen to the former president, we can only imagine what's going to happen to the rest of the country. Please stand up now if you have a voice and let's fight against this. God bless you all. Thank you. Okay, so here's my... Now, what he said there at the end about Donald Trump and how they shouldn't be going after him and it's unjust, I agree with all that. All that is true. Um, The stuff before it is the problem. And the fact that this guy's out of prison is a problem. He should still be in prison. He should be in prison for the rest of his life. And and my my fear is that... Now, I saw this video floating around. A a few uh, Trump supporters were 
were reposting it in, in you know, in, in a favorable way, uh, but nobody of, of special note. Um, my fear, though, is that the Trump campaign leading into the general election will lean into stuff like this and say, oh, look, this is a black guy who likes us. He's saying other black people should support Donald Trump uh, because if Trump let him out of prison. I think that would be a disastrous political mistake, and uh, and don't do it. It's, it would be a disastrous mistake, because Trump letting guys like this out of prison was the worst thing that he did while he was in office. It was a huge mistake; it never should have happened. And what people are, what people want now, is is they want they want actual law and order, actual law and order. They want criminals arrested and sent away. They're not in the mood to be sympathetic to criminals. And so that's what you campaign on. That, that's how you actually get. Now, yeah, this guy, you get his vote by saying, yeah, I'll let criminals out of jail. You're not going to win an election with this guy, okay? The way you win an election is by, is by speaking not to criminals, but to just normal Americans, wherever they happen to live and whatever their race happens to be. And for those people, what they want is they want criminals in jail. And so if I'm Donald Trump, the clemency and letting the criminals out of jail— I'm pretending that didn't happen. Okay, we're not going to talk about that, and 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 uh, uh, we're moving on. And here's what we're going to do this time. And we're taking the naive uh, uh, Bukele approach in El Salvador, and we're going, you know, we're going hardcore after these people. And we're going to throw them in jail. Um, and just to make the point, just using this guy, okay? Because if you hear this kind of thing and you think, and you and you're tempted to. Uh, to be sympathetic. Um, well, because you hear, oh, first-time drug offender, nonviolent, two life sentences, that's obscene, that's excessive. But what we have to realize is that you're being manipulated. And don't allow yourself to be manipulated. Because he says that he was a nonviolent first-time drug offender, makes it sound like he was caught with a bag of weed or something. And okay, that argument was compelling to Trump, who let him out of prison. Um, but what's the reality? Well, the reality is that Charles Tanner was the leader of a drug gang. He was found guilty of trafficking in hundreds of thousands of dollars in drugs, hardcore drugs that he was bringing into our communities. What does that tell us? Well, first of all, he was a committed criminal deep in the drug dealing game. This was not a guy dabbling around the edges. Also, the fact that this was a first time offense is irrelevant. It's not even true. Like, obviously, he, he committed many more offenses than what he was arrested for. A first-time offense. No, it wasn't. You, you committed a, a thousand crimes before that. It's just you weren't arrested for them. The fact that you weren't arrested for them, what is that? That doesn't do with anything. Who cares? Yeah, you know, my first time getting caught for it. I don't give a shit if it was the first time you were caught for it. What, you think you get credit for that? It's, it's irrelevant. So if you, if you arrest a drug kingpin which is what this guy was, it's not his first offense. If it's his first time being arrested, it's because of dumb luck, number one. And number two, it's because other people took the fall for him in the past. Okay, because guys like this, they surround themselves with people uh, who are the first you know, line of defense, and those are the ones who get arrested because they're, you know, they're the ones who are actually out on the street. They're the, and, and they're the ones who take the fall. And so that's why... The, the, the ringleader, the kingpin type, um, often is not arrested or doesn't have the same rap sheet. Okay, you go down to Mexico, go down to Central America, the cartels, the people running the cartels, and you compare their rap sheet to like the guys that are actually pushing the drugs. A lot of the cartel leaders 
don't have as many arrests or any potentially. Does that mean it's a, oh, I'm a first time offender. Yeah, you're, you're, it's a first time arrest. It's not a first time offense. And second, calling drug trafficking nonviolent is insane. Okay, so stop saying that. I want everyone who says that, you need to stop. The next time you find yourself calling drug trafficking nonviolent, I want you to immediately smack yourself in the face. Okay, and I'm not calling anyone else to do it. I'm not, I'm not calling for violence. I'm saying do it to yourself just to slap some sense into yourself. Drug trafficking is not nonviolent. For one thing, they're trafficking in poison that kills thousands of Americans every single year. They're trafficking in a substance that is destroying communities all across this country and putting thousands of people in the ground and destroying many more uh, families and lives. Okay, so to call that nonviolent is just, it's, uh, it's, you're using a definition of violence that is so limited that it is, is meaningless. And second, I don't mean to burst your bubble, there's no such thing as a nonviolent drug gang, okay? What do you think that they're doing? How do you think that they, what do you think is happening? You think that they write sternly worded letters to each other when they have a disagreement? Do you think they're having tickle fights with each other? You think, what do you think they're doing, a thumb war? You think when there's a, when there's a dispute over street corners, they do, okay, rock, paper, scissors, ready? Let's go. Rock, paper, scissors. Ah, you got me. You think that's how they settle it? No. There's no such thing as non. This guy is not nonviolent. You're a drug kingpin. You are violent. It's just 100% fact. So uh, now, were you arrested for any of the violence that you perpetrated or that you uh, caused to happen? Maybe not. Doesn't matter. But giving a life sentence to a drug trafficker, you see, the reason why you give the life sentence is because all of this is baked in and you you are a smart person and you recognize all of this. So you recognize this is a drug trafficker. He's trafficking in poison. He's killing people. This is a violent business. He's responsible for lots of violence. Uh, if he's a drug trafficker, he's already committed a whole bunch of other crimes. So you, you, you bake all of that in logically and that's how you end up with a life sentence, which is not only just, but it is if anything, lenient. If any, the conversation we should be having that I've talked about before is, should we be executing drug traffickers? That at least would be, if we're having that conversation, then I know we're making some progress. But the fact that we're still debating about whether it's worth putting a drug trafficker in jail for the rest of their lives, it's like, okay, we've learned nothing. We've just learned absolutely nothing. And I don't want to hear any complaints from anybody about crime in the street and cleaning up crime. If, if, if you think the guys like this should be let out of prison, I don't want to hear you complain about the crime. Because this, what do you think is required to clean up the crime? Okay, what do you think is, in, what, what does it entail? What does it look like? It is an ugly, rough thing where you take guys like this and you throw them in jail and you never see them again. That's how you do it. It's the only way to do it. And if you don't want to do that, then you're not serious about cleaning up the crime. I swear, if I see this guy show up at a campaign rally, I'm going to, I'm going to, well, I'm just going to be very annoyed. That's all that's really going to happen, but I will be very annoyed. All right, let's get to was Walsh wrong. Our friends at ZipRecruiter conducted a recent survey and found that the top hiring challenges employers face in 2024 is a lack of qualified candidates. But if you're an employer and need to hire 
The good news is that ZipRecruiter has smart tools and features that help you find more qualified candidates quickly. Right now, you can try it for free at ZipRecruiter.com Walsh. As soon as you post your job, ZipRecruiter's powerful matching technology shows you candidates whose skills and experience match to what you need. And then you can use ZipRecruiter's invite to apply feature to send your top candidates a personalized invitation, encouraging them to respond to your job post. Let ZipRecruiter help you conquer the biggest hiring challenge of finding qualified candidates. See why four to five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within the first day. Just go to my exclusive web address right now at ZipRecruiter.com slash Walsh. Again, that's ZipRecruiter.com slash W-A-L-S-H. The smartest way to hire is with ZipRecruiter. Shockingly, a number of comments uh, that are that are comments that are disagreeing with my uh, opinion that the Beyonce country song was not terrible. You know, especially in comparison, given where the bar is. Okay, but a lot of people not in agreement. Patrick says, "Wow, Matt, this is sad." The only explanation I can think of is that you've never listened to music before. I can't believe you could be this lost. Wasson says, the Beyonce, the Beyonce country song is catchy. So is AIDS, Matt. H-Man says, uh, tell us you're gay without saying it. Uh, Lillian, Lillian Humphrey says, Matt, to say you shock me is an understatement. Beyonce is a grifter and she'll jump off as soon as she's done getting her accolades. Um, 23WTB says, it's boring. It's Beyonce's boring voice put through an AI-generated bluegrass filter. There's already a thousand songs you could be listening to instead. Look, you might not like that I'm the leader of the Bayhive now. Uh, I don't even think the Bayhive likes it, but it it is uh, it's how it is. It might not fit in your little picture of the world, okay? I might not fit inside your box, the box you want to put me in, but this is the way it is. I'm living my truth, okay? That's that's what's happening. You cannot you cannot contain me, and I think that's what disturbs you all so much. And I stand by what I said. The Beyonce country song, it's okay. It's kind of kind of catchy. It kind of works a little bit. I didn't say it works a lot. Did I say that? No. I didn't say it's a 10 out of 10. You know, it's a, it's a, it's like a, uh, it's like a 6.1. And maybe a 5.7. It's like a 5.7 out of 10, but it, it's above 50%. And, um, and so it works a little bit. Uh, now, I think it could work better. I think it could work better. Maybe that's what I'm cluing into a little bit, is that there's a, there's a vibe that could be better. Now, obviously, the lyrics are incredibly stupid, so that's a problem. You can make the lyrics not that dumb. Um, I think Beyonce, if she had a better kind of soulful R&B voice, then it would really work. You know, In fact, I'd like to hear that. I'd like to hear an Aretha Franklin level kind of soul R&B singer uh, doing a country song. That, that would be a nice thing to hear. So I guess Janis Joplin is what I'm asking for. Um, I don't know if you'd call her country or not. Probably not. Me and Bobby McGee, I guess I think you'd call that country-ish. Um, and I'm not saying that Beyonce is Janis Joplin. Just to be clear, you people would probably stone me to death if I said that, and deservedly so. But that's it. That's my, that's my verdict.
Courage Under Fire is going to be the event of the year. Come and join me on May 24th in Nashville, Tennessee for a night of encouragement and camaraderie. Courage Under Fire will host some of the top leaders in faith, the pro-life movement, and culture to share in the true, the good, and the beautiful. I'll be speaking alongside Dr. Abby Johnson on how to have courage and stand up for the truth no matter what adversity you face. We'll be joined by some of the most influential leaders in the conservative movement for a night of connection and inspiration. All proceeds from the gala will directly benefit students in need of tuition assistance at Regina Chaley Academy, which is the premier classical homeschool hybrid for Catholic families. VIPs will have access to an exclusive meet and greet with guest speakers and live music during cocktail hour. If you haven't grabbed your tickets yet, you need to do so. For tickets, visit courageundergala.org and use code DAILYWIRE at checkout. That's courageundergala.org and use code DAILYWIRE. Can't wait to see you there. Also, Lady Ballers is the hilarious story of how a group of male losers who can't win against other men decide to identify as women and join a women's basketball league. Yes, it's absurd. It's ridiculous. It's laughable. It's happening in the world right now. So here's a quick look at what's being called the most triggering movie of the decade. Leftists are losing it over Lady Ballers. Nothing's changed. This movie is a straight-up and intentional transphobic hate crime. What? I see you. The Lady Ballers movie needs to be banned. I'll cancel you. I can get the blinds, please. Code 11. The most toxic BS you've ever seen. You're a monster. Yeah. Next level hate speech propaganda. That's it? That's the pitch? Watch the most triggering comedy of the decade. <laughs> Lady Ballers, streaming exclusively on Daily Wire Plus. Don't wait. Watch Lady Ballers, the movie that Hollywood didn't make, so uh, we did exclusively on Daily Wire Plus right now. Now let's get to our daily cancellation. You know, I did not expect that I would one day be in a position where I would have to cancel the National Multiple Sclerosis Society, but uh, here we are. It's really not so surprising when you think about it. Nearly every large organization of any kind in the country has been captured by the far left, and if it's a medical organization or a nonprofit that deals with a medical issue, um, you can be certain that it is run by far-left wackos. That's how you end up with this kind of situation, which we'll get into now. So backing up a few days, uh, uh, last week, the MS Society kicked out a 90-year-old volunteer who had been working with the organization for 60 years. Now, just to put that in perspective, this woman, Fran Itkoff, has been volunteering for this organization for nearly as long as the organization has existed. She began volunteering after her husband was diagnosed with the the condition, and she continued giving her time uh, even after her husband died 20 years ago. And with that sort of history and track record, you would think that the organization would cherish this woman. You know, they, they, they would have a deep sense of loyalty to her and respect for her, and certainly wouldn't even consider terminating their relationship with her, except under the most extreme circumstances imaginable, where, where, where somehow her behavior, you know, made the decision inevitable. Now, it's hard to imagine what exactly a 90-year-old volunteer could do or say to warrant that response, but whatever it is, it would have to be over-the-top outrageous and offensive. That's what you might think. Or you would think anyway if you were very naive and didn't understand how the world works these days. As it turns out, Fran was fired, not for doing anything outrageous or offensive at all, but simply for being a normal human being. What was Fran's crime? Well, she asked a question about pronouns. Apparently, it all began when Fran was asked by the organization to use pronouns in her email signature. And she, being a normal 90-year-old person, had no idea what that meant. She's lived on the planet for 90 years, likely introduced herself a thousand times to a thousand different people, and never once had been asked to give her pronouns. In fact, the very phrase, give your pronouns, right, the concept of 
a person having pronouns, these are my pronouns, this is something that this elderly woman has never encountered or thought about at all. It has no bearing on her life. That's because this whole pronoun ritual was invented 45 seconds ago by gay activists on the internet. Now, you and I are familiar with it because we spend too much time on the internet. Fran, we can assume, does not. And that was the crime she committed, apparently. So here she is last week explaining uh, the situation to Libs of TikTok. Watch. I was confused. I didn't know what it was, what it meant. Uh, and I'd seen it on a couple of uh, letters that had come in after the person's name. They had the pronouns, but I didn't know what that meant. And so finally, I, when I was talking to her, I thought, I'll f- ask, what does it mean? And, uh, you know, let her tell me. And so she said that meant that they were inclu- all inclusive, which didn't make sense to me. Because it, it sounds like you're uh, By labeling or labeling uh, for females and not males. If you're just putting in she, her. She or, said that she was just asking her what it meant to have a conversation. So as a 90 year old who didn't know what it meant, you know, she's not street savvy <laughs> to find out what it meant. Yeah. And when she said that they were required to use it to be inclusive. And my mom was saying I, I, that we've always been the MS Society as a whole and the Long and Beach group. Yeah, group has just always been inclusive. A few days later, uh, it was on a Friday at, was it 4.58? At 4.58, which we thought was odd, but I anyway. At the end of the day, end of the week, I got an email from her saying that uh, they were sorry, but they had to ask me to step down as a volunteer <laughs> for the MS Society. And the reason being is that you're not inclusive enough. The verbiage she said was that she didn't abide by their diversity, equity, and inclusion. So they have to ask her to step down and she can't be a part of the MS Society as a a volunteer, which to me is ironic because they're saying they're being inclusive, but yet they're excluding a 90-year-old disabled woman who volunteers for over 60 years. So I, I like her initial response to the thing when she was told we're, we're inclusive. And of course, her first response is because she's familiar with that, with you know what that word is supposed to mean. And so she says, like, what do you mean? We're, we're of course we always we include everybody. You know, we're, we're the MS Society. We don't we don't exclude anyone. We don't tell anyone that they're not allowed to benefit from what are the charity we do because of course we include everyone. But um, but of course that's not what is meant by inclusive when it's used these days and and that is that's the the irony of it in the name of inclusivity they're excluding this woman for asking a question you know it's not like fran stridently objected to using the pronouns it's not like she 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 went in there and said look this is the dumbest thing i've ever heard of you people are morons i've been alive for 90 years i've never encountered human beings as stupid as you now if she would have been entirely justified in saying that i would enjoy it if she did say that but she didn't because she's a nice, sweet old lady who was looking for clarification, not confrontation. And, uh, and yet they kicked her out anyway. Now, later in the week, the MS Society released a statement defending their decision to fire her. Reading from their statement, it says, quote, As an organization, we firmly believe that we best serve and support those living with MS by creating a space that welcomes all. This is especially true for self-help group leaders who are responsible for leading meetings for people affected by MS to confide in and support one another. Recently, a volunteer, Fran Itkoff, was asked to step away from her role because of statements that were viewed as not aligning with our policy of inclusion. Fran has been a a valued member of our volunteer team for more than 60 years. We believe that our staff acted with the best of intentions and did give 
Uh, it did their best to navigate a challenging issue. As an organization, we are in continued conversation about assuring that our diversity, equity, and inclusion evolve in service of our mission, and we will reach out to Fran in service of that goal. Now, if you understand woke language, you understand it more than a typical 90-year-old who lives a life blessedly insulated from much of this uh, would, then you already know how to translate some of the key phrases in this statement. For example, continued conversation means, in this case, not a conversation at all. A conversation is what is what Fran was trying to have originally. She was trying to have a conversation, like a person, where someone said something and she's like, I don't know what you mean by that. Can you explain it? And then they said, you're fired. So that's, that's what a conversation is. They don't want a conversation. Conversation for them means instead that they dictate what you do, say, and believe, and then you sit silently and nod your head. That's what a conversation is to them. That's the only conversation they want to have. And in similar fashion, navigating a challenging issue does not mean that they are navigating a challenging issue. It means that they instead are creating an issue out of whole cloth, responding to the issue that they created in the most deranged and morally abominable way imaginable, and then applauding themselves for their wisdom and nuance. And of course, as we already covered, um, inclusion here does not mean inclusion or anything like inclusion. It means instead the rigid, ruthless exclusion of anyone who fails to precisely and painstakingly conform to their dogmas. So that was the end of it, as far as the National MS Society expected and hoped. Uh, they did this horrifically insane thing. They treated an innocent woman like dirt. They exposed themselves as a bunch of deranged, cowardly goblins. And then they moved on, or they wanted to. But unfortunately for them, the public found out about all this, thanks in large part to libs of TikTok. And this led to a fully justified and quite reasonable public backlash. In the organization, they tried to hide under a bed you know, for a while until people stopped shouting at them. That strategy only lasted a few days until they finally relented and issued this follow-up statement. This is what they posted yesterday. Quote, the National Multiple Sclerosis Society apologizes to our longtime dedicated volunteer, Fran Itkoff. Recently, we asked Fran to step down from her role as a group leader because of statements made that we viewed as not aligning with our recently implemented diversity, equity, and inclusion policy. We realize now that we made a mistake and we should have had more conversations with Fran before making this decision. Over her 60 years of volunteer service, Fran has been a committed champion for our cause. We had an opportunity to work with her and support her as a self-help group volunteer leader. But as an organization, we fell short. While we acted at the time with the best intentions, we did not have clear protocols in place. We should have spent more time with Fran to help her understand why, as an organization, we are dedicated to building a diverse and inclusive movement where everybody has equitable access to the care, connections, and support they need to live their best lives. Okay. So um, they have apologized to Fran and asked her to come back. No word yet, as far as I know, on whether Fran has any interest in working with them again. Either way, needless to say, the organization deserves absolutely no credit for issuing this apology and retraction. For one thing, they're only doing it because they have to. Their outrageous mistreatment of this elderly woman was exposed. Donors were threatening to pull their funds. And the uh, National MS Society had no choice but to back down. If this story had never gone public, if nobody ever found out about it, if they'd been able to just toss this old lady overboard and continue rolling, rowing along like nothing happened, then that's exactly what they would have done. So this apology was made out of necessity, not for any moral or ethical reason, which means that it's totally meaningless and they get no credit for issuing it. Also, they aren't really apologizing. At least they aren't apologizing for the things they should be apologizing for. 
They said that they should have uh, they should have had more conversations with Fran, and they should have made protocols more clear, and done more to quote help her understand why she's expected to engage in these bizarre rituals. But that, of course, is not the problem. The problem isn't that they didn't help Fran better conform to the insane DEI policy. The problem is that the insane DEI policy exists. They should be apologizing for the policies themselves and by extension for mistreating Fran in the name of that policy. And then they should be firing everybody who had a hand in crafting the policy and in firing Fran. That's what a real apology would be. That's what actual accountability would look like. Which is why the people threatening to pull their funds should still pull them. Like if you donate to the National MS Society, you should stop and, and you should not start again. I don't care if they made this apology. They should still be made to reap the consequences. That's the only way to put a stop to this madness. Or else there will be a lot more Frans falling victim to it in the future. And that's why the National MS Society is today canceled. That'll do it for the show today. Thanks for watching. Thanks for listening. Talk to you tomorrow. Have a great day. Godspeed. Thank you.